Uh, we are continuing, like I said, in the, the Unfair series. And last week we started off and we talked about Christ's betrayal and his abandonment and the denial by Peter attached to that and then his, his very unfair false arrest and condemnation and judgment. And all of that was leading up to the cross. And I said last week we often equate Christ's unfair treatment with the cross itself, and certainly that is the most extreme example of his unfair treatment, but it's not the only one. And all of that that we looked at and talked about last week leads up to the cross and certainly contains example after example of the unfair treatment uh, that Christ endured for our sake, all so that we, rather unfairly, as we said last week, would be recipients of grace and love and mercy and acceptance. All of which is unfair if you think about it, because what is fair for each and every one of us is judgment. It's the wrath of God to fall and rest on us. What each and every one of us deserves, what is fair to us, naturally speaking, is hell. But Jesus endured all that he did to rescue us out of that. Praise him. Praise the Lord Jesus. With that in mind, we'll turn our attention to the cross today. You know, today is Palm Sunday, the day 2,000 years ago when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey instead of a war horse, and the people surrounded him and threw down palm branches and coats and said, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save us, is what that means. Blessed is the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And everyone was praising and jubilant because they said, here, here is our king. Here's the one that's going to deliver us from the iron fist of Rome. That was their thinking, their expectation. They were full of praise and, and fresh on their minds was all the miracles and things that he had been doing the whole time leading up to his triumphant entry. And they were so loud with their praise that the Pharisees and the religious leaders who were furious with jealousy already, said, command your disciples to be silent. And he said, okay, but if if they're quiet, the rocks are going to start praising me. What a scene that would have been. What a time. Sadly, by the end of that very week, that same crowd, at least many of them, were shouting something else. They were shouting, crucify him. Away with him. Give us a murderer in his place. Give us a terrorist in his place. Get rid of him. Take him to the cross. That same crowd who had praised him earlier. Even in that, we see a paradox. A paradox. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The paradox of the cross. And, and what a paradox is, just so we're all on the same page, because you know, it's not like we use that frequently or, or regularly in our communication day to day, at least I don't think so. But a paradox, um, this is kind of a simple definition, but it works. Uh, it's a statement or situation, a statement or situation that seems to be contradictory or outside common sense at first but when investigated or explained, can be shown to be true. So it's something that seems like it's, it's just contradictory or it can't work, it can't happen, it just doesn't seem right at first glance, but when you look at it further or it's explained more, you realize, oh, yeah, it does make sense, and, and this can work, this is true. Now, this, so that's a definition of, of a paradox. And here's a couple examples that we all can relate to and, and are familiar with. Examples of paradox in everyday life. Um, have you ever heard the phrase, you can save money by spending it? You ever heard that? Familiar with that concept? I mean, at first that sounds crazy. Like, well, how can you save money if you're spending it? But it makes sense when you think of things like um, putting uh, insulation you know, in your house, you know, insulating your roof or your house in a, in a greater way. It's going to cost some on the front end, but it's going to end up reducing your heating bill, right? It's going to save you money in the long run. Um, spending money to hire people for a business that you need extra workers to propel your business forward. You spend money on, on the hire, but you end up 
you know, resulting in, in a better business. Um, there's another phrase, we need to go backwards to go forwards. Ever heard that? At first, again, that seems a little silly. Like, why would you do that? That seems counterproductive. But many times, looking back may very well provide clarity or even direction in moving forward. So a lot of times we need to do that. We need to look back and see what has happened in the past to prepare us to move forward into the future. And then there's another one that you hear from time to time, hopefully not too often, a crash landing. You know, that, that seems contradictory, but it happens. And sometimes it's okay. Like you walk away from that. You don't ever want to hear, though, when you're on a plane, you know, and for those of you who are getting ready to travel on a plane for spring break, may you never hear, folks, we're getting ready to have a crash landing. That would not be a good thing to hear. Um, but that's, that's a paradox as well. So those are just some examples of what a paradox looks like or may be. The ultimate, the ultimate example of a paradox is the cross of Christ. It's the ultimate example of what a paradox really is. Because, th- think about it, on the cross, and, and I have this on the, on the screen there, Tom, you can go ahead and show that. Yeah, on the cross, Jesus... The innocent one, the righteous one, the perfect one, Jesus got our sin, and we got his righteousness. That's the exchange that took place on the cross. It was a divine, miraculous, amazing, unfair exchange. He got all of our sin, all of it. Everything you and I have ever or will ever do that is an offense to a holy God, that is contrary to His standard and His will, His command, anything, all of it. My sin not in part, but the whole, was nailed to what? And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Right? Amen? That's what happened at the cross. It's a paradox. Seems like a, a, a contradiction. It's an extreme contrast. And yet, it's what happened. Also at the cross, the Father turned away from His only Son, but turned to and embraced us, His enemies. That's what the Bible clearly tells us. In Romans, it talks about the fact that not only were we in need of a Savior, Not only were we helpless and hopeless on our own, but it goes deeper. Our condition naturally before God apart from Christ goes deeper than that. The Bible clearly tells us anyone outside of Christ still in their sin is an enemy of God. It's not like we're all just kind of on good terms with God. We're neutral. No, no, no. The Bible is clear. You are either part of God's family as His child through Christ and you're in Christ and you're totally His or you're outside of Christ and there's no neutral ground there. You are an enemy of God at that point. And yet, the Father looked at us with an amazing heart of love like the song we started off with today, how deep the Father's love. We're not ever going to fathom how deep the Father's love is because His love was so deep that He turned away from His only Son who He had been in fellowship with for eternity. Closer than we could ever understand. And He turned away. He forsook His Son so that... And as a direct result of that, so that he could embrace us, his enemies, and call us to himself. Amazing. Amazing. And then also at the cross, a third paradox to share with you is Jesus gave up his life. He gave it up to give life to us. What a beautiful contrast that is, isn't it? Jesus gave up. No one took his life from him. He, the Son of God, willingly gave up his life, offered as a sacrifice to give us life. Therefore, that means, church, Christian, therefore that means we live because he died. 
And we would not live, we would not have life if he had not died. That's what was required for us to have life and to have it abundant is for him to die. This should just amaze us. This should blow our minds all the time. We should never get used to this, to the reality of the cross. But, but, let's just be honest, it can be really easy to miss, right? I mean, it can be really easy just to to hurry past the beautiful, amazing contrasts on display at the cross. We can get used to it. We can get familiar. It's easy to forget that all we receive because of the cross should not be able to be received by us at all. It's really easy to, to, to forget that. Everything we get, everything we gain, everything we receive should not be able to be received by us. Shouldn't happen. And yet it does. And, and we can get numb to that. We can kind of just treat that as routine and normal instead of being constantly amazed by the grace that we receive. And even more tragically, we can begin to grow cold, actually cold, to the unimaginable suffering Jesus endured. We can grow cold to what it actually cost him to go to the cross on our behalf. It can happen. It does happen. It has happened. So, with all that being said, here's what I want. I want us today, I want us to really think about all of this. I want us to think about the paradox of the cross. I want us to consider what actually happened at the cross. What's behind it. What happened underneath the surface of what we're used to just reading about. What really happened where our Savior died for us? I want us to remember what we gain from his pain, which is the subtitle of this series, His Pain, Our Gain. I want us to think about what that that really means. And, And with that, I want us to consider what our response needs to be in light of his sacrifice for us. How do we respond? What effect does it need to have on us? That's where I want us to be today. It's where we need to be today. Father, I ask by your Spirit that you would please open our hearts and our minds to everything you desire to show us and speak to us today. Please draw our hearts fully to center around the cross of your Son. And Father, if there is anyone at all here today who has not yet come to the cross, surrendering there, receiving the gift of salvation, please let today be the day that they bow before the cross and rise up new. For all of us who have already yielded our lives to the Savior, may we take up the cross anew. May we remember all that it did cost our Savior, and may we count the cost that we are required that now to take up ourselves. May we have a greater love for our Savior than when we, as we leave today than when we came in. And please lead us by your Spirit in how we should respond every moment in light of what we have been given, all at the cost of your Son and his cross. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So in, in, in remembering these things, in, in considering all of this, I want us to look at some very key scriptures that, that very clearly portray this paradox that I'm talking about, the paradox that took place at the cross. And, and the first example that I want us to consider is found in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. And this is a, in a, a, just a remarkable passage. This is a prophecy. It's a first-person prophecy which means Isaiah was able, supernaturally, as only God could allow, he was able to, to kind of see through the eyes of the suffering Savior. He was able to, to put himself in the position of the Messiah, as it were. Not literally, but in a way that only God could do to bring this prophecy into his mind that he was going to communicate. It's first-person perspective. And what's even more remarkable about that is that this is 600 to 700 years before Christ ever came. 
And yet the detail of what he was going to endure and suffer is just remarkable. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And it shows one among many other proofs how Jesus is indeed the Messiah because of this fulfillment along with so many others. But Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 6 says this, Surely he, talking about the Messiah, about Jesus, surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He bore our sin. He, he took our sin. All that, all that was broken in us, he took on himself and carried. How did we respond, though, humanity? How did mankind respond? Not well, not good. Look, the rest of verse 4. Yet, even though that happened, even though he did that, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. In other words, we didn't want to have anything to do with him. We turned away from him even though he endured being turned away from by his own father. Verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. That's not fair, is it? It's not fair. It's not right. It's not deserved. See the paradox there? That shouldn't happen. That's outside of logic. That's outside of reason, and yet it happened. He was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. He was crushed, crushed. If something is crushed, that's it. It's the end of it. It doesn't come back from that. It's final. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. Again, not fair. Shouldn't happen. Doesn't make sense on the human level. That's outside of reason. That's outside of common sense. That this shouldn't take place. Any of us would cry out, Hey, wait, no, that's unfair. You can't do that. And yet that's exactly what happened. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. Punishment that wasn't His to bear rightly or naturally that's not what should have happened he didn't deserve any punishment whatsoever not even a little bit certainly we shouldn't gain peace with God from punishment that was placed on him but that's exactly what happened the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed There's another paradox. How should we be healed by his wounds? It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't make sense. Wound shouldn't heal. That's not how it works in real life, right? You don't get healed by a wound. But that's how it worked here. It's exactly what took place here. By his wounds, by the Savior's wounds, by the Messiah's wounds, by the perfect, spotless innocent Lamb of God, and by His mortal wounds, we are forever healed. That's what took place. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, because that's what sheep do. Sheep are really dumb. Really, really dumb. I mean, you know, we think, like, dogs are dumb and easily distracted, you know, like they'll be going along and all of a sudden, squirrel! Well, sheep are... I mean, they're, they're just like that. Only, I mean, they just follow each other. I mean, it's like there's clear danger over here, but yet it appeals to the sheep. So one sheep goes and, eh, 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 and the others are like, hey, he's going over there. Let me just follow him. Eh, eh. And so then they all just follow each other. And they'll just go all over the place. They'll go right off a cliff if the shepherd doesn't intervene. And then God, God calls it like he sees it, right? I mean, he says, you know, hey, you're all like that. Just go on your own way. You'll go over here. You'll go over there. You'll just follow anything. You'll just go astray. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, turned inwardly, turned to self-focus and self-love. But look at what happens still, despite that. And the Lord, God Almighty, the Father, has laid on him, his Son, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. See a theme here? Iniquity, iniquity, transgression. All put on the eternal, perfect, 
innocent Son of God. This is the cup that Jesus, in his humanity, asked to be passed from him in the garden. You know, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and he's praying, and and he's in such agony that he actually said, I'm near to the point of death. The the, the, The place in the garden when one account says that he sweat, and his sweat was so great it was as drops of blood. He was in agony. Medically speaking, that condition has been seen before and seen in other places. But every time that's seen, every time that's shown, if somebody is actually in that much distress, they're at the point of death already. Their body is shutting down. Their system is about to collapse. It wasn't because Jesus was anticipating the pain and the suffering of the cross. As great as that was going to be, That's not what drove him to the point of almost dying right then and there. That's not what caused the the sweat to, to actually mix with blood and drop. That's not what it was about. That's not what led him to say, Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. That wasn't it. It wasn't the the scourging that he was about to endure. It wasn't the cross and the pain, the physicality of it. It was this. It was the cup of divine wrath and fury and judgment on all of mankind's sin, on your sin and on my sin, that was about to fall on the Son. It was the cup of judgment that you and I should have borne and should have drank from, it was fair to us, but that the Father was going to pass over us with and pour out on His Son. That's what was about to happen. And that's what the Son was looking at and saying in His humanity, I just don't know if I can take that. He knew it would require the Father to turn His face away. He knew it. And that had never happened, not one time in all of His eternal existence. But he didn't stop there. He said, yet, yet, not what I will, but what you will, what yours, what your will is, let that be what is done. And he went to, went to the betrayal, he went to the arrest, and he went to the trial, and he went to the post where he was scourged. And it's not like whipped with a little whip, that's cat of nine tails with bone and glass and metal ripping skin off from back down to the muscles around the bone. He went to that post and he went beyond that and he took the cross on himself, carried it all the way up to the hill, thrown down on the ground, jarred, lifted back up, and went to his death that should have been ours, all in our place. That's what took place. That's what the Savior did for us. That's Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. A prophecy that came through, came true in incredibly vivid, amazing detail. One that contained the description of suffering that Jesus endured that we can't ever possibly wrap our minds around. Well, another example of paradox is in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, where the Apostle Paul says this, God made him, speaking of Jesus, God made him who had no sin, other translations say who knew no sin, to be or to become sin for us. Think about that. The eternal, perfect Son of God who is in every way what the Father is, so is the Son. In other words, as holy as the Father is, as omnipotent as the Father is, so is the Son. As eternal as the the Father is, so is the Son. Which means, as much as the Father hates sin and can't ever entertain it for even a moment, in the same way the Son hates sin. There's no difference there. It's all equal between the Father, Son, and the Spirit because the three are one, each very fully God. 
So here's the father making, allowing, causing his own son, who hates sin just as much as he does, to actually become sin before his sight. Think about that. God Almighty, which the Son is, always has been. Not just taking on sin and bearing it, but in the sight of His Father, actually becoming the object of sin. All for us. Why? What was the purpose of that? Look at what the next part says. It's equally amazing. It's equally astounding. So that in Him, in the Son, in the One who became sin, who was never associated with sin even in the slightest, who hated sin just as much as His Father, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. (laughs) That we sinners... We, the ones that caused the Son to go to the cross to become sin. That we, the enemies of God, could actually become the righteousness of God. What a contrast that is. Again, at the cross, He got our sin, we got His righteousness. That means that because the Father looked and saw His Son, and in seeing His Son in that moment on the cross, He saw all of our sin, because that happened... Now, when the Father looks at you and I, if we have given our lives to Christ, if we have surrendered to Christ, when the Father looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's what you are before Almighty God right now, Christian. You are righteous and clean and holy, not because you in yourself are. No, no, no. Because Jesus became sin for you. Allowing you to be viewed as righteous before a holy God. What a paradox. What a contrast. And then ultimately we see this perhaps most clearly on the cross itself. And that's in Matthew 27 where I want to draw your attention to. Matthew 27. Starting at verse 45. Matthew 27, 45. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How can this be? Well, you just heard why. Father turned away why he had forsaken because the Father in all of his holiness could not even entertain, look at, consider even for a moment his son who had just become sin. That's how holy God is. Do we we remember that enough? No. Do we think about that as much as we should? I don't think so. That the God to whom we pray, the God that we do call Father by the grace of Jesus, and, and rightly so, let, you know, he, he says we can cry out to him, Abba, Papa, that's what that means, by the Spirit we've received. But as great as that is, church, let's not ever forget the holiness of our God, who could not even look at his own Son because of the sin that covered him. That's how holy God is. He can't even for a second Look at sin and entertain it. Looking down at verse 50. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. There's willingness there. At that moment when he gave up his spirit, the curtain of the temple... The curtain that had separated the most holy place from from everyone else. The innermost sanctuary of God's presence separated it from from any of the rest of the temple. It means nobody can go in except one time a year, one person. You can't just walk in or you'll die. You can't just come into God's presence. 
This is off limits. It said that to everyone in every generation through Israel. They knew what that curtain meant. It meant there's a barrier between you and God. And no amount of sacrifice and no amount of trying to keep the law and no amount of work or effort could change that barrier. It was always there. A high, thick curtain. Nobody could ever have torn that with their hands or even any instrument. It was going to be there, no matter what, until, until the Son, the Lamb of God, sacrificed himself as the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, as the ultimate sacrifice, both high priest and sacrifice, there on the cross. And when he gave up his spirit, that curtain tore into from top to bottom... Who else could have torn it but God himself, the hand of God reaching up and just tearing that curtain saying, finally, finally the wall is down. There's no more separation. Come to me freely. Everything's changed. Now you don't have to be separated anymore. You can come. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open. And look at this. Listen to this. This is just wild. Verse 52. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. (laughs) They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. You know what that shows us? You know what that shows us? That death is defeated at the death of Christ. And because of the death of Christ, death has no more victory. It's over. That's why Paul could say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. Whose victory? Not yours or mine. Christ's, Jesus' victory that he then by grace extends to us if we come to him. And we see that right here on display. I mean, the moment he dies, life happens in its place. The moment he gives up, gives up his spirit, spirit of life comes back into saints who have already died. What an amazing example and display of the power of our Savior. And just incredible, incredible. Well, all of this reminds me of one of my favorite songs by a very, very good, good, good group that any of you should, should just listen to and you'd love if you do. Shane and Shane. It's a contemporary Christian group, praise and worship group, um, and one of their, their song, uh, Loved My Heart to Death, is one of my favorite songs, and this line in particular, it just, it just speaks to my heart, and I, I really feel that it captures everything we've just talked about and heard, and it's a perfect transition, I think, as we turn our hearts and attention to remembering the sacrifice of Christ by observing the Lord's Supper together, by, by observing communion. Here's what it says. Oh, the wrath of God that I deserve with every breath. Oh, the wrath of God that I deserve with every breath fell upon Him, Jesus and he loved my heart to death. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Oh, the wrath of God that I deserve with every breath, which I do, and so do you. We all deserve the wrath of God with every breath as, as humans. That's what's naturally fair to and for us. But it didn't fall on us. Instead, it fell on him. And he loved my heart all the way to death. Praise be to our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice, for loving our heart to the point of death, for bearing the wrath that was ours to bear, for becoming sin for us, so that instead we could become the righteousness of God that is found in you. Help us to honor you far beyond this observance and this day. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, the Apostle Paul 
writes to the Corinthian church instructing them on the proper observance of the Lord's Supper. He says this, For I received from the Lord, I received from the Lord, not me, it's God giving me this, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. sacrifice for our sin. We can't comprehend the love, the grace, the mercy, the desire to reach out to us, to draw us to yourself. Help us, Lord, to comprehend this 
to absorb this in our life and to just rejoice and to worship as we participate in the communion service. We thank you in Christ's name. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Oh uh-huh. 
Father, as believers, we we just still can't fathom the paradox of mm. you becoming human, being like us in so many ways, with the exception of sin. Yes. Father, as we drink this semblance of your blood, let us each remember that, again, those are similarities that you had to us, that you made. You had blood flowing through your veins as we do as well. But just your undying love and for being justified for us is just something as believers we still can't even fathom. Thank you so much for your sacrifice, Father. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. So what does all this mean for us? What's the result of this amazing paradox of sacrifice and grace? Sin becoming, being placed on Jesus and him becoming sin and us receiving righteousness and becoming the righteousness of God. What does all this mean for us? How, do, how does this affect us? And the effect is truly great indeed. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. And that should be what we all say. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. And people might say, why? Why why is this true? Here's the answer for every one of us. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, Jesus looks at us as a beautiful bride. And he looks to his father and he says, Oh, Father, thank you for this bride. She is beautiful. And it's not because we have any intrinsic beauty. It's because we have received the beauty of the Son. 1 Peter 2, 24. Here's the result, or excuse me, the response that should be in every single one of our hearts and coming out of every one of our lives constantly and increasingly Moment after moment, this should be what we resolve to apply. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. And here's the reason. And here's the effect that we should seek to apply. So that, the reason he, he did that. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Do you see that contrast? Die to sin, reject it, die to it willingly, just as Christ willingly gave his life in death, we willingly give ourselves over to death in terms of sin. And in contrast, we live, but we don't live for ourselves. we don't live for the sin that we are to die to. No, we are to live unto righteousness and unto the righteous one who gave himself for us. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Quoting from Isaiah 53. Healed from what? What did his wounds heal us from? Well, it healed us from our helplessness. It healed us from our hopelessness. It healed us from our inability in and of ourselves to reject sin and live for righteousness. That's what his wounds healed us from, Christian. You have been healed if you are in Christ. And it goes far beyond some temporary, superficial, physical healing. It goes down deep to the heart and to the soul. And it enables you to be before God what he calls you to be, but that you can never be on your own. Another song comes to mind as I think about this. Amazing love. 
how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love. I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you. In all I do, let me honor you. Oh, church, may that be the cry of our heart. May that be the prayer on our lips every single moment in light of all we have received at the cross and by the Savior who died there. Would you pray with me? Everyone bowing. We've talked a lot this morning, covered a lot of ground in relation to the suffering of our Savior, in relation to the paradox that is the cross, the brokenness that he endured to make us whole, the righteousness that he gave us by becoming sin in our place, the judgment and wrath that he bore that should have been ours, the separation from his Father that we rightly deserve. And it should be the greatest reminder and the greatest realization and the greatest news constantly for those who are in Christ. But it also should be the greatest news you've ever heard if you are outside of Christ. And I just want to offer to you, would you please today, if you have not already done so, would you please let today be the day of your life starting, your true, abundant, eternal life, the day where you give yourself to the Savior who gave himself to you and for you? Would you please make today that day? Let go of all the things that have held you back. Let go of all the excuses as to why you can't come to Christ. Those excuses were made null and void by him going to the cross. And he stands ready to embrace you and receive you as his own. Is there anyone who would say, yeah, that's me. I'm not a Christian. I've not given my life to Christ, but I want today to be the day that I do. I want to know him as my Savior today. Is there anyone that would say that's me? Let me know by raising up your hand. No one's looking around. No one's going to embarrass. I'm not going to call you up front. Is there anyone at all? Anybody? Okay, then Christian, I'm just going to pray for you and include myself in that prayer that we will not grow cold or get used to the salvation that we have knowing what it cost our Savior. Oh, be amazed again. Be absolutely astounded again at the love that you have received. Marvel afresh and anew, Christian, at the cross that your Savior endured for you. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy that is beyond belief. Thank you for the love that you have that is truly deep, deeper than anything we could ever fathom. Thank you for the links that you went to to redeem us, your enemies, and to make us your sons and daughters. Thank you for being willing, Father, to crush your son to make us whole, to make him sin so that we could be righteousness. Oh, how deep the Father's love indeed. Make us not just astonished and astounded and full of wonder, but make us also willing and eager every moment to lay ourselves down in response to your Son laying himself down for us. May we choose with all of our strength and by dependence on the Spirit you've given us to die to sin every moment and to live for righteousness in response to your Son dying for us. It's in his great name I pray. Amen.